Welcome again to Lebanon Christian Church. And um, whether you're in person, uh, maybe online you're listening this week because you couldn't make it, um, or a friend recommended this to you, um, just want to say welcome. And welcome to a brand new series that we're kicking off this morning, actually. It's a series called Unfiltered. And there's a reason that we're calling it Unfiltered. I'm going to need your help. Uh, how many of you by a show of hands, have any sort or are on any sort of social media? Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Farmers Only, ChristianMingle.com, those, yeah, yeah, there's social media too, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that's what I thought. Um, I am too, I'm on some social, social media. What's the purpose? What's the reason that we get on social media in the first place? Um, no doubt it's for connection, Right? We're connecting the family and friends or to that single who wants to mingle, right? We're trying to connect. Um, it's connection. So that's the reason we all get on social media. And that's the reason why a lot of, uh, especially Facebook's like the biggest one. And that's why like grandma and grandpa are now on Facebook trying to keep up with their kids and everything. And, and why kids are like, I'm not going to be on Facebook anymore now. I'm going to go to Instagram, right? There's just this constant battle for connection. Um, and, and that's the initial purpose, but there's actually another side effect, and it's a very real side effect that I think you'll see is true, that happens, um, that actually takes over our initial reason for social media. Do you know what it is? It's to live behind a filter. Because there's an ever-present um, desire in our culture to appear different than we actually are. And Instagram is so popular because you can put a filter on it and you can post anything that you want. And there's a temptation to live behind a filter because filters make us look different, make us look thinner, maybe a little bit more tan or tall or, or look like our life is exactly the way we've always dreamed that it really was. And filters can make an imaginary version of ourselves look like reality to everybody else, especially when it comes to people um, that you often see in a gym setting. Um, I, th I think this video just speaks for itself. So an audio issue. Yeah, that didn't happen first service. Psych, you thought you were going to get to see a funny video with John Chris. Um, <laughs> look, uh, I'll just fill in. I'm not going to act like that up here because it's weird. Uh, but I, I do actually, my wife and I do actually work out five times a week. This isn't near as funny. But it's, um, we will see people, uh, and this is no joke, we'll see people where we work out, and they're staring at themselves like, they're, like there's, there's, there's a guy, and I'm not making fun of him, but you can tell that he's there for the pics, right? So he's, he's looking, and there's people that are like this with a dumbbell, like, like trying to get that, that perfect picture. And, and there's a, a lot of people do that when you go to the gym or whether you're on vacation or whatever, and here's the reason why. Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, they allow us to post the ideal version of our life. 
And here's a truth about just about everybody's social media, and it's probably true about yours. It may even be true about your life. And you may not have thought about this before, but it's, it's probably true. I know it's been true of mine, is that we will post the ideal version of our lives on Facebook and on Instagram. We won't post the real version. Those are the people that get unfriended. We will only post the ideal version of our life because we'll post pictures of our perfect kids behaving perfectly in that picture where just a minute ago they were like throwing something at you. We'll post pictures of ourselves on the beach on vacation while the rest of central Indiana freezes and is really mad at you. Um, We'll post pictures of ourselves at the gym looking like we're getting our sweat on when we've been there 30 seconds or that's the first time we've ever been to a gym, right, getting my sweat on. And we'll, we'll post about a fake version of ourselves, now, there's a movement on social media, and, and it's, it's growing in popularity, and if you were to search the hashtag, let me back up for a minute. If you don't know what a hashtag is, um, it's, a, it's a pound sign. For those of you that are like, what's a hashtag? I'll have a class later and help you understand how to do this. Um, but there, if you were to search the hashtag no filter, you would find thousands of pictures completely without the filters that our phones and Instagram and everything has. You, it's as if people are trying to be so authentic and they're posting pictures of themselves and their loved ones as if they, you know, as if to say this person is perfect just the way they are. They don't need a filter. This sunrise is perfect the way it is. This mountainscape is so perfect the way it is. I don't even need a filter. Hashtag no filters allowed, right? They, it's a pursuit for authenticity, Now, bridge over into real life. (laughs) Living unfiltered is to live in the most authentic way possible. Now, what if there was a place, what if there was a place where you could come, where all of the filters that you project on other people and maybe even convince yourself is true of you, what if there's a place you could come where all of those didn't matter? Where you could actually be your truest, most authentic self. How refreshing, maybe scary, that would be at the same time. What if church was supposed to be that place. What if, and I'll have to convince you of this, church was always supposed to be that place where you could come 100% unfiltered and be known and loved. What if church was supposed to be that place? So let me share with you a truth about most people who come through the doors of any worship gathering. I know it's true of me, and I know it's probably true of you. In fact, this may not sit well with you at first because it is true, and maybe you feel a little called out, but the truth is that most people who sit in the seats that you're in right now are walking through these doors with a filter, with an imaginary version of yourself. And we sit, and 
We don't ever really break them down to where people can see the real us. We're tempted to live in Instagram faith every time we gather for worship. And there's something inside of us that craves us to be able to break free from that. Because we typically, what do we share when we come together? We typically highlight the highlights of our week. And some will highlight only the negative things, but that's also a filter, one of constant negativity. You and I come through these doors, and not just at our church, but at churches all across the city, uh, all across our state and country, they come through the doors with filters, and nobody really knows the real them. This may actually be what drove you away from the church in the first place. And maybe why someone had to really convince you to come back today, uh, because you got tired of seeing growing up all the filters that you saw people have to live through and that people acted a different way when they were here than they were when they were where you were. And you walked away and someone really had to twist your arm to come back today. Because the truth is, you've seen all these. We have some very common filters that we'll walk into a worship service with. And one of these probably surely most definitely applies to you or has in the past and probably one or two of them applies to you sitting here right now. The first one is the filter of a happy marriage. But your marriage is falling apart. You're here and and you're not even maybe living in the same house. I'm serving at a church, and, and you won't know these people. I won't say their names. I'm serving at a church, and we had a girl in our youth group whose parents were getting a divorce. And every Sunday, they were living in separate houses, they would drive to church together just to look like their family was put together. A filter. Then there's the filter of purity, which we obviously try to have on a Sunday morning. But the reality is that behind closed doors, every time you're alone, you really struggle Maybe you're even trying to hide an affair or you're thinking about one or whether it's online or in person, you just, you try to appear pure, but you're really not. Maybe there's the filter of financial stability, but if people could really see that you're spending way more than you actually make and you're not even really sure where your next meal is going to come from. Then there's the filter of perfect kids. I hear the giggles. That's the first service too. But your kids are driving you crazy. And, and, but they better be on their best behavior at church. <laughs> right? so, but your kids, they're, they're, they're getting on your last nerve. And honestly, your family is kind of getting on your nerves. You're just not really sure what's going on. Something just seems off. But here, here, everything looks fine. Then there's the filter of, a, of happiness. This one's really common. Uh, we want people to think we're happy. But really, we're so broken Honestly, as soon as we leave, the smile fades, like that scene in the movie where they turn away and they just instant frown. And that's you. That's where you're at. You're lonely, and and you're not happy. And then there's also the filter. This one's a little different of an unhappy life. Some people will only speak about the negative things as if they have nothing to celebrate. That's also a filter. And you try to talk to these kinds of people, and maybe you are one of these people that you always seem to say, well, my week really stunk. And oh, I can top that because here's what happened to me. And that's also a filter. It's one of negativity. And some of us probably live that way too. But we will also hide behind the filter of maybe a a political leader. 
as if that's where our, our, our identity is. Like, we're this way or this way, and I'm not even going to say them because it's such a hot-button topic, but it's like, we'll hide behind these filters, or we'll hide behind a filter, if you're a church person, of a worship style. Like, we're a contemporary church. Well, we're more of a traditional church. Well, our pastor's more like Andy Stanley. Well, ours is more like Craig Rochelle. Ours is a seeker-sensitive church. Well, ours is a tell-it-how-it-is church. Well, ours is a new-age church. I don't even know what that is, but apparently it's a thing. Ours is a new-age church. And, and, and we'll also hide behind the filter, and this one's very common, of a job title. I am a pastor, a realtor, a nurse, a lawyer, a doctor an engineer. Maybe even we hide behind a filter that it's, it's important to be this, but this isn't who we really are, but we'll say, I'm a mom or dad, a husband or a wife. As if that's the only way we identify ourselves. In other words, a filter. But do you know what filters do? Do you know what filters do? They make us imaginary. They make us never able to be ourselves with other people to be truly authentic and have relationships where people know the real us. Filters make us imaginary. But why do we do that? They make the church look imaginary instead of looking like Jesus. But why do we hide behind filters? And this list is, is from my own reflection of why I hide behind filters. Filters make me feel safe. They make you feel safe. Filters make me able to appear a certain way when I am completely not that way in real life. Filters make the ideal version of my life appear like reality. In fact, filters make people think I'm a certain way because I'm kind of afraid that if they knew the real me, they may not accept the real me, especially if they found out what I did. Filters protect us, or so we think. But filters are also the enemy of authentic living. And get this, hopefully this isn't new news to you, but it might be filters never fool God. He knows the heart and the mind. So what if church could be the place where we could come and we could live truly unfiltered? Why is that even important? Are filters even really that bad? So we're going to go to the very first church today, the very first one, first congregation ever. We're going to be hanging out with them today. Uh, They're found in Acts, and you can go and turn there. But before we get to Acts, I want us to look, if you you have a Bible, if it's on on an app, it'll be the very last book. If if you have your Bible, it's the very last book. What's it called? The last one. Revelation, yes. So I want to I want to just briefly touch on the on the after the church started, after the very first church. Revelation is really unique. In the very first part of Revelation, Jesus, who has already ascended into heaven, has been gone from the earth for some time. He comes back in a vision to a man by the name of John. This is really significant. During Jesus' earthly reign with him, or his his time on earth with him, John and him were the best of friends. He loved John. In fact, John is the guy who coined the phrase, God is love. That was John. He looked Jesus, he looked God in the face, and he says, this is love, and this is God. God, therefore, is love. That was John. 
And Jesus appears to John many years later. And, and John's just overjoyed and scared, obviously. He's like, well, you're back. And, and Jesus says, write some things down because there were some churches that had started that what you read about. They're the small parts of the New Testament, Ephesians, Philippians, all of these. He says, there are some of those churches who are putting on filters and then there's some who are staying the course. And I, I have things to say to both of them and I need you to write these down and share them with those churches. And the whole point, when you read through, it's the first three chapters of Revelation. When you read through all the things he's saying, the correction, then the encouragement to these churches, you find that he wants them to go back to their roots, which was in Acts. And that's where we're going to be today. Acts was written by a man who also wrote another letter. It was a letter. It's the second part of that letter. His name is Luke. And Luke, we're so thankful for Luke because Luke was a doctor and he was obsessed with details, which is good if you're a doctor. But Luke, Luke would, and we're so thankful for this, he would listen to Paul and he would listen to Peter and James and all these other, other apostles and people who like, like walk with Jesus and plan the churches and stuff. He would listen to them and he would write down in the most orderly way he could exactly what had happened. So when we read Luke, then Acts, we see the progression and Jesus is who he says he is and we see how the church started. And then you come to Acts chapter one, his, his second letter, and you see a group of estimated to be about 120 people, just a small gathering, probably, I mean, we have more people in here probably than they did. 120 people and like that, 3,000, the church, the first church is born. The first church happened. And then we come to Acts 2, 42. Because the church is off to a great start. They didn't have Instagram or anything like that. But we see the perfect picture of what an unfiltered church looks like. And I want you to know, like, they are so new, they couldn't even say what you've probably heard said in church. That's the way we've always done it. They couldn't even say that. It was the first church service together as Christians. They couldn't even say, well, the last preacher did this because it was Jesus. Like, it's that new. And we see the perfect picture of what the unfiltered church looks like starting in Acts 2, Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Truly unfiltered. Now, I want us to look at a word in verse 44 that's a very important word. Uh, the Greek word, and I know you all read a Greek Bible, the Greek word is koina, right? You know that from reading your Greek Bible. And the word is koina. And what koina means is mutual, common, or shared. It's the theme of that word is unity, right? Anytime we read 
in Acts and we see the word koina, like a word like koinonia, we need to pay special attention because it shows what unity looks like. And in this, in this chapter, we see that true unity is what the church based itself around. It, it, they were completely unified in all things, but it wasn't in the things that we may think it was. They were unified, yes, in material possessions and things like that, but it went much, much deeper than just material things. They were unified in serving together, in their suffering together, but they were unified by one thing that made all the difference, and it was an event. It was the resurrection of Jesus. That is what they were unified in, an event. An event launched the Christian faith, and it was the resurrection of Jesus. Now, there is a word that, that is used um, that we actually add to this. Um, there's a word for what they're doing with the believers, and we've come to call it discipleship, okay? And discipleship is really highly effective. It's the method that Jesus laid out for here's how you, how you make disciples and equip people for ministry. And it's really simple, but he never gave us an instruction manual, like here's the five steps of discipleship. He gave us an example and if I had to sum it up, it'd be this. Discipleship is love one another as Jesus loves us and teach people what Jesus teaches us. That's what you see them doing all over Acts, the launch of the early church. They're, they're loving people as Jesus loved them, and they're teaching people what Jesus teaches them. And I love the real in the raw way that they loved one another, and they were with one another, and they served one another. Unity was all you found. And when there was disunity, they took care of it. They talked it out, and they remembered the one thing that matters is Jesus alive, and we've got to tell people about it. Even when the government was pressing in around them and killing them, they were unified in Jesus. So, what happened? What happened? Where did that kind of unity go? I mean, you can look today and you, you may realize that that kind of unity is missing in a lot of places. In a lot of places that meet to worship Jesus, you don't really see that kind of unity. What happened? Because when the early church started, this very first one, it was so irresistible. What happened? Well, what happened was we forgot the event that our entire faith is centered around. And what started to happen is these Christians who were unified by resurrected Jesus, they started to replace that as the main thing with personal preference, with, a, with lust, greed, and power. And, and, and before you know it, culture almost took over and the resurrected Jesus was forgotten about. The early church was so irresistible because... They gathered around an event. <laughs> Something happened. And over time, and we do this today, we forgot what this is all about. And the unity fades. I'm a really simple man, and I'm stealing this from another pastor, but I'm a simple man. If someone can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm going to do whatever they say. And, and I'm, I'm simple. And we know that Jesus rose from the dead. 
Even secular scholars know that and recorded it. He did raise from the dead. And if that is our focal point, we will stay unified. But that has dissipated. So that's what happened, but how did that happen? We know what happened. Okay, we obviously took our eyes off the main thing, but how did that even happen? Because for the first hundred or so years, there wasn't even a the Bible. There, there wasn't this nice leather bound or imitation leather, or plastic or electronic book. They had tablets, but they weren't the same as the tablets we have today. Okay, they didn't even have what we would call uh, the Bible. What they had were fragments of these gospels by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that they would risk their lives to protect that were circulating in all of these different congregations. And then they had letters like Philippians, Ephesians, all those that would circulate and they would read them. That's all they had. They didn't have a, the Bible. So they were unified, but then, and then over time, they started to become more and more persecuted. There was even a Roman emperor that said, hey, if you're a Christian, and I know you're a Christian, I'm going to not only kill you, but you need to come out and burn all of your Christian literature. If I find out that you have it, I will kill you. And they kept it anyway to preserve the word of God. But then Christian faith is mandated. This is so important. A Roman gov- the Roman government one day said, Christian faith is now the preferred religion. So they went from having to hide in the shadows and be- risk death to now being open and being able to do their work in the open. Scholars could do their work in the open. And they started to gain some power. Filter alert. And what eventually you have is, is eventually the Catholic Church came out. It's what we call the Roman Catholic Church. And um, over time, just like in Revelation, when Jesus is talking to those churches, over time you started to see some filters go up. And you started to see some power-hungry people. And you started to see man-made things entered in. And some folks got kind of upset about that. So they started the protest. What was happening in the Roman Catholic Church? That's why they're called Protestants, and the Reformation movement started. In an attempt to reform the Roman Catholic Church, they stepped away. People like Martin Luther, who nailed 95 things he thought was wrong to the cathedral of a church. Kind of bold, right? But he does that. And, And all of a sudden, you have denominations start to form. And that's why you can drive down any street in America, and you can see several different denominations because of the Reformation movement. But over time, something else happened. They started to see an instant replay of what they were so upset about in the first place power-hungry, man-made traditions, pride, greed started to take over. So then you had another movement. We like our movements, don't we? The restoration movement is born. And, and that's where a lot of churches with like a name like ours typically comes from the restoration movement, the Christian Church, Church of Christ. And the restoration movement is born. These people, they didn't want to reform the Catholic Church. They wanted to restore the Acts Church, the first church, the, very, the original, the authentic one. They wanted to restore that, the very first one. So they set out to do that. Now, don't get mad. Don't get mad. But they, they were... They said they were going all the way to the restoration movement. We're going back to scripture. That's our, we're taking away all man-made things. That's our, only, that's our only authority, but don't get mad at this. In a lot of ways, we still missed it. We did. 
because we placed our entire faith on what was written instead of what happened. Because Christianity wasn't launched by what was written, it was launched by something that happened, and it was the resurrection of Jesus. That's what happened. And in a lot of ways, we still miss it today. We are here not because of a book. We are here not because of a tradition. We are here because of a resurrected king that proved who he was by rising from the dead. Now look again at Acts 2. They ate together. They worshiped together. They did all these things together because they were unified by one thing, Jesus. When they had all things in common, they were unfiltered. (laughs) But when other things started to come, when we got in the way, the filter started to go up. And now we have large church buildings or newly renovated buildings that we come into and sit with filters on. Because that's just the way we've always done it. Their unity reached far beyond a gathering one day a week. Every day they were in each other's homes, worshiping together, living together. They had all the elements. They had this and each other in homes. They had it all unified by one thing. And I think we should get that one thing back. So I've got to ask, are you living behind a filter? Are you living behind a filter? Church should be the one place that we can come where we can be our truest, most authentic self and know that we are loved by a king who rose from the dead and by other people and where we know we can get better at life and impact others through the love of one thing, and that is Jesus. Church should be that place. And I think it can be once again. In fact, I think it can be I think it can be irresistible once again. But the truth is, we like our filters. And this is true of me. I'm sure it's true of you here today. You like to live behind the filter. I like to live behind the filter that makes me look the best. Imaginary, but better. If you get nothing else, I want you to lean in and get this. It is Jesus who loves you in all of your unfiltered glory. It is Jesus who died for you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and all of the yous and me's here. He died and rose again so that we could know him and be known by others. He loves you in all of your unfiltered mess. And he's determined not to leave you that way. If you get nothing else, I hope that you leave with that. Those believers that we read about, they were unified by the fact that this Jesus who rose from the dead, 
that their church star bond, the Jesus who rose from the dead, loved each and every one of them with an undying love and would do it all over again for them. And he did it for you. It has not changed. His love never changes. It is still the same today. And we have got to be unified in that fact. He is alive and living in us. So the truth is, truth is that there are some of you here who you really love you really love the idea that you can come to a place and that there's there's a place that's seeking to be a safe place where you can just be unfiltered. You love the idea of this unfiltered like yes, I like to I want to be authentic. You love that idea. In fact, that's maybe the reason you walked away from church in the first place. And if you are a Christian, maybe maybe that's a frustration you have with the church. You're like I just want to be unfiltered, man. I just want to be legit, authentic, whatever hipster word you want to put on it. You just want to be real with people. But then there's another group of people who this kind of unfiltered living scares you. Because the last time you were unfiltered, she broke up with you. You told her how you felt. She left. You told him the things from your past. He broke up with you. You know what unfiltered gets you? It's loneliness. Some teenagers here and maybe... You know, your parents always say they want you to be honest with them, but you were honest about a mistake that you made. You were unfiltered, and you were grounded for eight years. <laughs> they overreacted, and, and, and you're like, no, Philip, I know what happens when I'm unfiltered. I get grounded. No. I like my filters because I get hurt when I'm unfiltered. I totally understand. But the real us, and I believe even those of you who love your filters, I believe there's a small part of you that wants to ditch those. I even believe there's a small part of you that even if you've convinced yourself that your Instagram filtered you is the real you, that you really know it's not. And you want to be known as who you really are. And I believe and we believe that church should be the place where that happens which is why we're going to talk about life groups next week and why this series is called Unfiltered. But what if, what if we quit getting hooked on an imaginary version of ourselves and what if we saw an unfiltered movement within the church, like today? What if we began to see the layers peel away and the filters come off and we just saw ourselves as authentic, real, living in unity by a resurrected king. What, what would happen? I wonder if the church would become irresistible again. I wonder if we'd see the Acts 2 church resurface. And maybe, and I know I'm dreaming here, but maybe we would even see my generation come back to a faith in Jesus and come back to church. You know about my generation, don't you? They're the ones you read about that are leaving the church by the thousands and it's not because they don't know the Bible. Many of them do. Most of the millennials that you read about that are leaving the church were once part of the church. And they're leaving because there was no place to wrestle with life's questions. And when we did, there were shallow answers. And we got tired of seeing the filters that we saw, maybe sometimes our parents, but other people living through 
And we wanted to be real. They wanted to be real. In fact, millennials, many people think millennials don't know what's in the Bible. They do. In fact, anyone can know what's in the Bible because of the internet. You don't even have to own one anymore, and you can know exactly what is in the Bible. Knowing the Bible isn't the problem. The problem is not being able to ask the hard questions and wrestle with life. And when they do, they're given the answers like, well, the Bible says so. Just believe it. Seems unlikely, but just believe it. And there was no safe place to wrestle with those questions. And I want my generation back. And I know you do too. And I know parents in the room of us millennials, (laughs) you want them back. I think it can happen again. I think not only them, but everybody. The church can be irresistible once again. But it will require us to ditch the mentality of living through our filters. It will be scary, but it will be worth it to live unfiltered. So, over the next few weeks, I imagine there's two types of people that will come and listen to this. I imagine there's filter lovers and there's filter haters. Filter lovers, you're the ones that, you know, you like your filter because you remember the hurt that you experience when you take them off. You're not, you're fine. You'll come, you'll listen, but your filters are staying on. And then there's the filter haters who you live, where you live life by one word and that's authentic. You're like, no, I'm, I, yeah, I'm getting real. I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited about this. Let's, let's destroy the filters and hashtag unfiltered, all that. You're excited. But even you, if you claim to live unfiltered because you're probably like me, you still put them on. All of us struggle with this. No matter which side you're on, which type of person you are, filter lover or hater, I am so glad that you're here to experience this series and to experience the love of Jesus. And I hope, I hope that you'll come back all three weeks, especially next week because that's kind of key. So I want you to come back (laughs) next week. Don't miss it because we start to see what it is we feel how this is going to look. We're going to flesh out what this looks like as a church to live unfiltered. And the best way we think that happens is in the context of what we call life groups. And we want to talk about that next week. And that's just one part, but we want to talk about that next week. But as you leave, know (laughs) that we believe this is the way the church was always supposed to be, unfiltered with each other. Unified by one thing, the resurrected Jesus. And as you leave, I I want you to think about something this week. Uh, It's not homework. It's just a challenge. Not only do I want you to come back, but I want you to ask yourself this question this week in preparation for the next message. What do you try to convince everybody else is true about you? What do you try to convince your wife, your kids, your coworkers, your church, whatever, What is it you try to convince everybody else is true about you? And as you wrestle with that this week, I want you to remember this truth. The only thing that needs to be true in your life is that you are loved by a resurrected Jesus. And that you don't have to live behind a filter anymore. He wants a relationship with you. Hashtag no filters allowed.
Let's pray. God, I know how hard this can be for us. We are so used to living with our filters. We're so used to, even if we never thought we did before we came in here today, maybe we really do. We live this imaginary version of ourselves as though we feel like we have to prove something. And I I ask for courage this week that we would begin as a congregation, whether we're a visitor or we walk with you or, or, or we're, we're not even for faith at all, we're actually kind of just not even glad we're here today. I just ask that every single one of us would feel a challenge to strip away the filters and start living the most authentic and real version of ourselves that we possibly can. Uh, we know that you're already here. We ask that you would show off in our lives and we ask that you would give us courage. Thank you. Thank you that I don't have to live behind a filter and neither does anybody else because you love us. And the only thing that has to be true in our lives is that you, the resurrected King, love us. And it's in that we pray, amen.